You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Welcome back to the Critical Mass for Business radio show. I'm Pete Weitzner, editor of the Orange County Business Journal, in for my good friend Rick. He's back next week, and you're listening to us or watching uh, via the Internet, criticalmassforbusiness.com or on octalkradio.net, created, owned by my friend Paul Roberts. We've got a great guest in with us right now. John Cavalieri is one of the top executives, one of the top um, allocators, if you will, uh, advisors to PIMCO, one of the biggest money managers, I can say, in the world, right? 1.6 trillion? In the world, 1.6 trillion. Uh, uh, AUM, as they say, assets under management at PIMCO, which, of course, is based in Newport Beach, been around a little more than 40 years. John's got quite the pedigree, includes Wharton, includes Credit Suisse, and has uh, come out now to PIMCO since 2003, as I mentioned, one of their top uh, advisors and executives. John, a little, uh, I, I gave just the highlights, just a little bit more on how you, your background, how you got into investments, and then a little bit uh, for, for the uninitiated, which won't be many who are listening to a business show on PIMCO. <laughs> sure. Well, well, thanks, first of all, for having me here, Pete. My history, let's go way back, I guess, into the 90s. Economics, student at UCLA, uh, graduated, and Went to work in investment banking, what we call the sell side. So pretty exciting times. Worked between Wall Street and New York and also here in Los Angeles, raising capital, equity, debt, doing M&A for both public and private companies. Wasn't hard in the mid to late 90s, right? It was booming. <laughs> and then, as you'll recall, we had the, the big dot-com run-up in the late 90s. So it was an exciting time to be on Wall Street. Of course, the aftermath was a little less exciting, but those cycles are what provide the great learning lessons. One or two companies, stories that stand out? Because now you're in New York then at this time. I was both in, in New York and Los Angeles. Oh, you know, we took uh, we took a company public called Corn Ferry, which is a big executive recruiting firm, uh, really the first in, in that space to go public, and that was a marquee brand. That was kind of fun. Another one, that, which was really fun, if you remember, this is going to test the generational profile of the listeners here, a company called Lycos. I do. So L-Y, yes, and Lycos was in, they were early, networking company? It was a predecessor to Google. It was Internet Search. Yes, it was. Back in the, uh, what, the Netscape days, maybe? It was Netscape. Uh, the big search engines back then included Excite, Lycos, Yahoo was a big name also. Uh, and so we took Lycos, uh, we didn't take the public, but they were already public. We raised additional capital for them, helped them with some M&A trades. And, you know, being in the technology industry at that time, we just alluded to the dot-com era. It was fast-moving. Valuations were all over the place. It was a paradigm shift that was exciting while it lasted. Of course, it came tumbling back down to, to earth, but um, really an exciting time. But it, with Lycos, you were in the right space because... You know, the time-honored analysis going back to the railroads, it's the folks who lay the infrastructure that survive. There's a few who also build a train to go over that infrastructure, right? But the folks who lay, and Google's a great example. Yep, Yep. They they were the first ones out when the Internet was kind of Wild West search was the key technology. Otherwise, you couldn't navigate this new, growing, sprawling cyberspace area. They were certainly, Lycos uh, was certainly a leader for a while. Ultimately, I think 
Google ate the lunch of a lot of search engines eventually, but for that stretch in the... Uh, Built a better mousetrap. Built a better search absolutely, engine. Absolutely. Better technology. But but for that stretch in the late 90s and the early 2000s, uh, Lycos was a top player. So, Free, what was it a little bit of a reaction to uh, the, cra- the dot-com crash that gets you to come out here and go to... Get out of investment banking and just go to the uh, managing side? Yeah, it's not so much the crash. I mean, everything goes in cycles, has its ups and downs. It's more about, I think, your value system. So working in investment banking was a phenomenal experience. Do some exciting transactions, as I mentioned, get to work with great corporate executives. But when you're on that side of the business, the sell side, it's a very transaction-based business. As investment bankers, you make fees, you make your money when you can get a company to do a transaction. So you're always, to some extent, urging corporations to do transactions and to do transactions in large size because that's how you get paid, whether or not it's in that company's best interest to do that transaction. The inherent conflict of interest in the job. Correct. (laughs) So uh, for me, you know, being on this side of the business, the investment management side, what we call the buy side, where you're buying the securities on behalf of your clients that you're investing for, your interests are perfectly aligned with your clients. If you make money, if your clients make money because you've done a good job, then they like you, they retain you, they may hire you for more investment mandates. So, yeah, I think it's really important to get your value system aligned in terms of what you think and what your job offers, then you can really lean into it. Sure. And it probably wasn't too hard a component of the decision to leave the East Coast and come out to Newport Beach, right? Love the East Coast. Love the West Coast. My family is a, a old Italian Pennsylvania family. But for me, I wanted to be in Southern California. I wanted to work at a premier investment management firm. And for my disposition, my my liking, I preferred working in fixed income versus equity. So you put those things together and there's just one big bright blinking light on your map and that's PIMCO. Okay, Pete Weitzner in for uh, in for Rick Franzi, New Jersey, New York native, a New York Giant fan with, I'm going to guess, Eagle fan, John Cavill. Am I right? Eagles fan. We saw the, the yeah. record-breaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so, yeah, John, yeah. now let's, uh, let's take us through PIMCO, the company itself, and then your role there. Sure. So, uh, as you mentioned the outset, PIMCO is one of the largest investment management firms in the world. We currently manage roughly $1.6 trillion in assets. It's kind of a staggering number even for me to say out loud. Predominantly fixed income based, that's been our history, but we've been able to extend our investment process to really add value for our clients across a wide variety of different asset classes, including hedge funds, private equity, inflation-related assets, even even equities. So a pretty diversified business today. But of the business, and by the way, congratulations, I think the total return fund and a couple of others of, of your fixed income funds, excellent year, highly rated again by Morningstar. So uh, you're part of that. You're part of every, every fund that the company... So your I, research, your... Yeah, I work in an area called asset allocation. This is a type of strategy that instead of, say, having you or and client build their portfolio themselves, trying to figure out the right mix of stocks, bonds, commodities, cash, etc., we run portfolios that are pre-mixed. And those, those strategies, which we call the all-asset strategies... It's one of our biggest complexes. It's just under $30 billion in total client assets. So it's a, it's a neat place because for me, it means you have to be active on top of all these different markets at the same time. And 
Well, we can cut almost. We'll cut, let's cut to current day because, of, of course, a big part of that is is how are you allocating? Let's say let's say it's not the biggest part. Fixed income is, but you just mentioned um, you know stocks and and say traditional portfolios. How are you allocated these days? Sure, on the defensive, sure. the offensive. It's moving a little more defensive. We've had a great run here. We've had a phenomenal run from sixty five hundred to twenty two something on the Dow and S and P five hundred and one hundred even better all time highs and we're near slightly off but we're near historical lows in terms of bond yields. So for both of our mainstream markets, post crisis they've been on an absolute tear since the lows of two thousand and nine. Of course, that looks good in the rearview mirror, but it means definitionally your forward looking returns are going to be diminished. So we're taking some chips off the table. We're rotating out of, you know, those mainstream U.S. stock and bond markets, and looking to some other areas which offer some value. We see some value in emerging markets, which have been a lightning rod to many investors. They've not done well in the recent past, but that of course means they're cheaper today. They have lower starting prices, higher starting yields. Sure, but I've seen, was it the Hungarian market? I've seen some of these, uh, I mean, there are ones maybe that don't occur to people, some of these Eastern European markets that are doing terrific, right? Doing terrific. You know, if you just look at emerging market equities, the broad MSCI, Emerging Market Equities Index, kind of the benchmark index, it's up roughly 30% year to date. If you look at the what's called the Local Emerging Markets Bond Index, so the bond index of the emerging economies denominated in their local currencies, it's up roughly 16% year-to-date. These are the index returns. Now, the S&P and our U.S. bonds are up as well, but kind of half-size those levels. So it's, like I said, natural rotation, natural cycles. When things have gone up for a while, take some chips off, rotate into the laggards. Okay, we're going to talk more with John right after the break. Ask him if some traditional rules of when to buy or sell still hold, like looking at inverted yield curves and follow the Fed and all that fun stuff, and uh, maybe get a couple of recommendations out of him. Uh, John Cavalieri is our guest. He's one of the top executives, executive vice president and asset allocation strategist at PIMCO, the Newport Beach office. Of course, that's where they're headquartered, more than 2,000 employees worldwide. More with John Cavalieri on Critical Mass Radio Show. Pete Weitzner in for Rick Franzi. Stay with us. If you are an Orange County business executive, this message is for you. Do you ever feel isolated with no place to turn for advice or feedback? Who holds you accountable to your commitments in your company? Where do you find the right resources to help you and your company grow? If you have these questions, then Critical Mass for Business might be the answer for you. Critical Mass for Business is committed to helping you make better decisions. These are groups of peers running businesses just like you, providing a great sounding board to test ideas and concepts, review plan and goals, and present issues and opportunities for discussion. The result is improved strategy, accountability, people, and execution skills. If you are interested in learning more, go to www.criticalmassforbusiness.com and learn more about our executive peer group. Welcome back to Critical Mass for Business. I'm Pete Weitzner, editor of the Orange County Business Journal, in for Rick Franzi. Rick's back next week, 
and you're listening or watching us, OCTalkRadio.net and also on CriticalMassForBusiness.com. John Cavalieri is the guest. He is the VP and Asset Allocation Strategist at that small little money manager called PIMCO out of Newport Beach. Um, so we were talking uh, before the break about maybe a little, not so much on, I guess, you did say on the defensive, but looking for actually different markets, John, now even outside the U.S. because the U.S. is pricey, equities and bonds? That's right. That's right. So after a great run, it's just normal and best practice portfolio discipline to rebalance, take some of the chips off and, and rotate into the laggards. The European equity market has lagged. We see some value there. The emerging market equities have lagged. We see some value there. Emerging market bonds have lagged. We see some value there. Now, this is not suggesting go whole hogged into these markets. We're being selected where we go. But at this late stage in the U.S. bull market, it's only prudent to make a shift in the more defensive direction. From the time... So I worked in in New York. I worked as an auditor, an accountant, and many, many friends on Wall Street. So we're going back to the mid-'80s. And you, had things, you uh, had things like price-earnings ratio. Multiples were a big factor and follow the Fed. And, and I believe Wall Street had a lot of proprietary information, right? This is pre-internet. That's all changed. The information is out there for almost anyone. And we have quantitative – the quants are controlling, what, half the, the trading? And uh, so the game has changed, right, uh, for you who's still doing the same thing, right? You're, you're – Picking asset classes, even helping to pick individual countries and, and even, I suppose, sectors, the game's changed. The game has definitely changed. I would say that the biggest game changer has been all of the monetary policy stimulus that's come in to support markets after the crisis. You know God that. bless it. <laughs> and if you just view it on that lens, it's been successful in the sense that markets are up and they're up big time. And it doesn't matter if you're looking at stocks or bonds in this country, they are near historic high valuations. The flip side of that is you now have humans, policymakers, who are actively influencing markets and to a lesser extent economies. So if we went back to kind of old PIMCO, so to speak, where we do a lot of our economic work to determine fundamental elements such as growth rates and inflation rates to determine what that would or how that would impact stock and bond markets, now you have this monkey wrench called policymakers, which are much harder to predict, even trying to anticipate how their speeches will go and then how markets will react to which words they choose. So we are talking about the Fed. You're also talking about Congress. And- absolutely. Fed and then the, uh, the U.S. Fed counterparts around the world, be it the European Central Bank, the Bank of Japan, Bank of England, etc. So we've really had to rely on what we call the bottom up. And this is where, in addition to continuing probably what PIMCO is known for, which is our we call our top-down and more macroeconomic-oriented forecasting process, which is still a very central part of our process and a, a defining strength of PIMCO, I would, I would say. We also had to rely on what's probably flown under the radar, and that's our very strong and robust bottom-up work. That's all the analysts, the 250 portfolio managers doing all the very sec- – very micro security selection, which bond, which stock, 
which maturity, the micro work that can add value independent of the big market moves. So this is something, I mean, your competitors, they're all familiar names. Give me three or four. And I'm, and, and your clients, we're talking the biggest endowments, we're, right? Uh, Absolutely. Uh, some of our, our large competitors would be a BlackRock based out of New York. Uh, a Vanguard, though they have a different approach, they're passive and low cost. We're active, higher fee, but trying to give you higher return. Uh, here in Southern California, you have firms such as Western Asset Management, Double Line. So plenty of plenty of competitors out there. And as you said, you're right. Our clients are the some of the largest organizations in the world, be they corporate pension plans, be they state or local pension plans, such as Calpers is a big state plan here in the U.S. Endowments, foundations, insurance companies, and let's not forget the little folks like you and me. We may not have direct accounts with all the individual mom and pops, but we have mutual funds, and of course, that's that's how individual investors get access to Pimco. Sure, where we might buy if we want to get a little. Well, we're invested through four hundred one ks, which are buying generally buying mutual funds. It might have. ETFs in there. A friend of mine, longtime broker, used to say, "I knew it was. I knew the market was frothy when my my grandmother would call up asking to buy a stock." What are the mistakes that individuals, assuming they are personally managing, or even in their allocation in their four hundred one ks, what's the biggest mistake they make? You just hit on number one on the list, which is people follow the trends. How can you possibly make money if you're doing what everyone else is doing or has already done? When you follow the trends, you are almost assuredly risking buying high after you've seen something go up, after its trailing return has looked wonderful for years and years and years, and you're missing all the value, all the value opportunities. So I, I sometimes say, and even when I help my own father, quite frankly, uh, or even when you or I, you, you'll see the human nature element of this. Who takes their performance report from their 401k or their personal brokerage account and looks down the list of of investments and says, what has done absolutely the best over the trailing one, three, and five-year period? I want to sell those. (laughs) And what has done absolutely the worst over the trailing one, three, and five-year period, which must be at bargain basement value discount prices, and I want to buy all those. Nobody. But if you... Buck the trend. So you're saying buy the New York Giants now? <laughs> I don't know if it holds in, in professional football organizations. Uh, unfortunately for maybe the Clippers here in, or the Lakers in terms of their recent fate. Uh, but yeah, everything goes in cycles. So the, the, the basic thing is buy low, sell high. But people feel much more comfortable doing the opposite when it comes to investing. So sure. that's, that's the big thing we, we try and coach people around. And overall, the saying buy when there's blood in the streets. Now, do you – you talked about uh, – The famous Baron Rothschild quote. Some of the, right, and some of the difference now, you said, is um, you know that the influence of policymakers. But so much going on geopolitically. Does that uh, – all you're starting with you know the people at John Cavalieri's level, but you talked about all those analysts, that PIMCO does the spade work. Are they factoring, and how can you factor that in? Well, that, that's just the thing. Some, some of these exciting topics to talk about, if you take the word exciting in quotes, they're not predictable, right? So – and furthermore, they're very heated, passionate subjects, and everyone has their own – personal or philosophical view. So our job at PIMCO is not to determine what should be done. Uh, our job is to, ter- is to determine what's likely to be done, independent of a value placed on that, and to position people's assets accordingly. 
if we can't determine what's likely to happen, then we're going to take a more neutral, moderated stance. Uh, so today, everyone likes talking about the big flashpoint, which is North Korea. What's going to happen with North Korea? And it's a scary topic, to be sure. I can tell you with a good deal of certainty, it's going to create volatility. There's going to be choppiness as we get different rhetoric go back and forth across the various countries. Now, that choppiness can be good, even though it's scary at the time, because it can create buying opportunities on the dips as people get maybe what hope, hopefully will be proven out to be irrationally scared at that moment in time. As opposed to irrational exuberance. If, it's, if, it, if, <laughs> if their fears are justified, we all have much bigger problems. Right. But that's just an example where we can't predict what's going to happen, but we can look for opportunities to to buy or sell and benefit our clients along the way. Does the company have a philosophy, even though you would think it's the bottom line is the bottom line, let's get the best return, but and you're not managing much of, say, millennial money, which seems to a uh, place of equal importance, right? Uh, but, but does the company have a philosophy that also guides besides, like, we look at the fundamentals here and uh, this is where we want to be, whether it's allocation or sectors? So in terms of investing, I think our our core philosophy, if you had to, if you had to pick just one, would be long-term value-based investor, which just means have a buy low, sell high discipline, even though that can be uncomfortable. Because like, like I said earlier, buying low means buying what has done poorly, but that's how it got to a low price. And selling high means selling what has done wonderfully and is probably one of your favorite positions in your portfolio. So you really have to have a, a strong, unemotional, value-based discipline. Of course, it's not a blind value lens. We complement that with a lot of fundamental work, macroeconomic analysis, understanding of what we call the technicals in terms of our investor flows supporting a certain direction. Is there momentum that can have a trend persist a little longer before it mean reverts? But ultimately, you're looking at value, long-term value, because that's going to give you your buy low, buy low, sell high discipline, which over the long term is really what accrues value. I want to Rick Stock and Trade, of course, is uh, peer-to-peer learning and, and executive sharing ideas. I mean, you're also a manager. Let's even divorce you know, the money part from it, your specific expertise. What does it take and what maybe even what advice have you gotten to be better at, at managing, managing people? We do a lot of management training within PIMCO. It's a talent management is a central focus. Otherwise, you're not maximizing the value of these high-quality people that you spent so much time recruiting and, and trying to develop. So it, it's a real focus. Uh, a few tenets of our management philosophy. One is, and this may sound a bit cliche, but it's clients first. As long as you're always putting the interests of your clients first, and that's a very explicit philosophy within the firm, you're always going to do the right thing. So that's that's number one on our list. We also support what we call, the, the phrase we use internally is a high-performance culture. So how does that manifest itself? Well, it means not only do we want to deliver premier outcomes to our clients, the best level of returns, the best risk-adjusted returns, less downside as measured, however we measure in a given case, maybe by a peer comparison, but it also means that when we hire people, we want to be hiring the best people that we can. And we want to... Tell them, here's the bar at PIMCO. Exactly. We want to find all those super bright, driven, ambitious, type A students or folks from other industries and get them... By the way, I mentioned quants. You're hiring more mathematicians these days? Big data, 
artificial intelligence, quantitative investing. This is the big trend in the investment management space. Interestingly, it also relates to something we, we touched on, which is helping to circumnavigate the human behavioral pitfalls, the emotional tendencies that can take us away from our good investing discipline. So investing in, in quantitative approaches, both to help codify that discipline, but also to help extract additional signals from this enormous data that swirls around us in the cyberspace, uh, both of those elements are, are really important. I think we maybe have a minute to go. Am I right? Uh, John, I notice you like every like every uh, smart business person. You're expanding. You're, you you put your brand out there. Folks want to follow you. I guess there's there's a place on Pimco's uh, right. Absolutely, pretty easy. Just go to www.pimco.com. That is really our, our center point for all of our thought leadership. A lot of articles, videos. Directions to different investments that the, fi- that the firm may offer. There's also a blog, which is a, a active short commentary on a wide variety of topics, and you can find that at pimcoblog.com. And what was the over-the-top? The, the was it money that the stocks that TV that you? So some of our some of the videos that we produce get redistributed on an aggregator called Asset TV, and that can be a, a neat place. It's not Pimco specific. That's just an industry aggregator to get. Nice videos, short insights on a wide variety of topics from a wide variety of managers. Not everyone can do TV. You know, you need some training. You need some good looks, too. <laughs> That's why got, we're on radio. Okay. <laughs> no, he's got the pedigree, and I'm safe enough to say he's also a very he's – a, he's a handsome man, albeit one from Philly. And uh, we'll get you back at MetLife. It's been a real pleasure to talk with uh, John Cavalieri of one of the premier money management companies in the world, uh, PIMCO, based right here in Newport Beach. Don, thanks for coming in studio here in Costa Mesa. Thanks so much, Pete. Pete Weitzner, editor of the Orange County Business Journal. Uh, Thank you to Rick Franzi, as always, for giving me this great opportunity. Uh, Rick's back next week. Critical Mass for Business.com to watch watch the podcast, also on talkradio.net, and as always, to Paul Roberts for looking into his computer 10 years ago and saying, I knew the idea was in there and having the courage to go ahead and create it. So Rick will be back next week at this time, Tuesday at 4 p.m., but you can check out all the old shows or the current ones we just did uh, on the website. And wishing you all a great week. I'm Pete Weitzner. We'll see you next time. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi. 